Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Haddon with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today and I am joined live by one Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen in the basement of Mahusi. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for no longer making me put the lotion on my skin. It puts its lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again. When you said we'd be recording in the basement, I thought hose might be involved. So uh, I'm glad it's just microphones and our red box of death from our car trip around Scotland. Oh, you, you mean that, that big fat woman? <laughs> Sorry, that was what's Is that Bill name? Cosby? No. <laughs> oh, it's the pudding. The pudding pop. No, the, the wild bill. When, um, what's her name? Went in to interview him, and, and she was looking for someone who's missing. And while Bill says, Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? Yeah, she was a big girl. Let me check my watch. That was one minute to derail the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. That might be a record. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're the one who brought it up. Lotion on the skin, getting the hose again. Puts a lotion in the basket. And then we were done, and then we were moving on, and you decided not to be. Yeah. Classic Joshua. Should we move on? Let's. Okay. What are we talking about today, and who are we talking to? Here's the interesting thing for me. Mm -hmm. Each time you and I record a podcast, you and I are doing it live. We're in the moment. In the moment. And then we release it. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners, they are welcomed by a masthead. They are welcomed by full information, saying who we're interviewing, Uh even sometimes what we're going to cover. And I sometimes feel like our listeners have more information than I have at this moment in time. (laughs) And I think when you and I are are introducing it to them, Mm -hmm. they already know. They already know it's Simon Brooking. Oh, you think that they know? They know. Have you met our listeners, Joshua? I've I've met our listeners, but... You know also that people don't necessarily read, but they do look at pictures. I think our listeners read as well. You think they read? That's why I called them readers one time. (laughs) Because (laughs) it strikes me that they are a cut above. They are a cut above. They are beloved. Uncircumcised, if you will. We're back to that again. They're an uncut above. Always the penis with you, Hatton. (laughs) Always the penis. Okay, so let's say they don't read. Okay. Okay. I I am proud. Yes. I'm honored. Yes. To let our readers, our, our non-reading listeners, uh-huh. know mm-hmm. that we have the distinct pleasure yes. of having Simon Brooking, Lafroig, Beaumore, Ardmore, Glengiri, Ockintoshin, brand ambassador yeah. for the Americas. I don't know if there's a plural in there or not. I'm dressing it up. He just, I think it's just he's so one busy. He's, he he's, is busy. He's everywhere all the time. And and here's why I think, here's where a picture says a thousand words. Because he is everywhere all the time, even if our listeners don't read, they're going to see that face because he's ubiquitous. He's instantly and, recognizable and on the whiskey scene. Exactly. He's, you know, when I first got into whiskey, he's one of the first people to greet me at a show. I, I had a slightly different beginning. All right, yeah, behind a, I had, behind a Burger King. I had flown from Portland, Oregon to San Francisco, California. That's for international listeners. 
<laughs> and I was sitting having a spot of lunch before I was going to a, a very well-known whiskey festival that yeah. night. Okay. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm eating away. I'm thinking about the night. I'm thinking about what I'm going to be tasting. Mm-hmm. And I look up and I see Simon Brooking walking over to the bar mm. to order some lunch. All right. Uh, and contrary to popular belief, it was a solid lunch, not a liquid lunch. <laughs> and and I sat and I vacillated between... Like in public? <laughs> <laughs> We're back to the Lorcan again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you at least have a sack with you or something? Wow. It's San Francisco, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just step on. <laughs> Come on. Don't let the man stop you from vacillating. But uh, hopefully you didn't use the whole jar. Anyway, continue. <laughs> and I and, I, and part of me was saying, you got to go introduce yourself to Simon Brooking. Yeah. You have to. It's yeah. Simon Brooking. Simon fucking Brooking. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And then part of me was thinking, you can't trouble the man. He's on his lunch. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't you can't be Joshua, right? <laughs> you can't just go over and interrupt the guy. <laughs> I have another story to tell about being in Beaumont that, that features Joshua Hatton. That was going to be my well, story. I will allow you to tell your no, Joshua well, Hatton I'll story. You, you can step all over me. So, so I'm, I'm, I, I finish vacillating. Yeah. And I say... You cleaned up. Jason, <laughs> are you a man or a mouse? And, and I I walked over to Simon. Yeah. I said, I'm I'm really sorry to trouble you. I know you're you're eating your lunch. My name's Jason Johnston Yellen. I'm in town for the show. I just want to say hello and introduce myself and meet you. Yeah. And he was as warm and as generous as as you could ever hope. Of course. And yeah. and nothing was a was a bother for him. Mm. And we sat and we talked whiskey and travel and um, his family. And wow. it was it was very nice. And, and every time we moved on to a new subject, I kept saying, I'm really sorry to be taking up your time. I'm really sorry to be taking up your time. Uh, and probably after about 30 minutes or so, um, maybe 40 minutes. No, I think it was 30. Okay. We, uh, we parted. And, and it's funny. Because he he says something in today's interview that resonated with the first time I met him. Okay. I was meeting up with Peter Lemon. Yeah, sure. And Christopher Jew. The Casks and Whiskey Wall. And Tim Pruitt. Of Ard, Ardbeg, was it Ardbegeddon? Ardbeg Project. Ardbeg yeah, Project. Ardbeg Ard, yeah, the, Ardbeg, yeah, that's, yeah, Ardbeg Project. Yeah, sure. I was meeting up with all those chaps after, well... Before the show, during the show, after the show. Yeah. And and when I saw Simon later, I said, oh, a, a group of us are getting together, got some real special pours, mm. would love for you to to come by. And Simon being Simon said, oh, that's very kind. I really appreciate that. Um, let, let me see if it works out. And I told him where we would be and told him the time and... And and he said, I'll do my best. Okay. And he never showed up. Okay. And and it's one of those things where when he doesn't show up, you're not surprised. Yes, you're not reason. disappointed. Yeah. You're not angry. It's just, he's a busy guy. Yeah. I understand how busy guys operate. And later on in today's interview, 
he talks a little bit about one of the first conversations he had <laughs> coming into whiskey <laughs> and how that might have played a role on my first uh, experience inviting him somewhere. Nice. And then that was one of the things from a just a purely survival perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember it was, was some one of the first trips I was doing. I was with our Virginia team. And we hit it hard after the promotion. We hit it really hard, and we were doing shots of an unspeakable product uh, by the end of the night that just left me the next morning in pieces. And on our way to the next staff training, 9.30 a.m. staff training, I was just, uh, I was... I was still drunk, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the guy who I was with was this massive man who at one time uh, was a professional football player, American right. football. Okay. So he would, by the end of the night, he was he would normally uh, have shots of tequila to, to quiet himself, calm himself down. <laughs> tequila to calm <laughs> yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and he, the next morning, he's fine because mm. of his size, but he, he finally takes me aside and he says to me, Simon, if you want to survive in this business, you you have to know how to pace yourself. Yeah. And you have to know when to say no because as a, a brand ambassador, you're going to get taken out and wined and dined everywhere you go. Yeah. Because you're the you're the, the guest. Um, right. And then everybody's going to go back to their job the next day and you're going to go to the next city and do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And understanding how to uh, th- this is your job, mm. and you need to find a way to um, uh, to limit to to be able to survive. Otherwise, because yeah. w- and we we all see it. We all oh, see yeah. it in the industry. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so as much as I enjoy people, you know, come on out to my house afterwards. We'll all it just. Mm-hmm. I have to say no. So that's my story of mm. of my first time meeting him. Um, <laughs> I'll give you the honor of telling your own truth, and then I will interject with the actual truth as you're telling your story. No, they're two two different stories. Okay, you had a whiskey festival meeting, and then yeah, whiskey festival meeting. It was Solomon Bullmore. Yeah, it was. I would say a good ten years ago, maybe a little more now. And I was at a, a whiskey festival, and yes. It's funny that in a couple of episodes ago, I was giving you a hard time about how you've really learned a lot about time and how it works. Hmm. Because anytime I listen to you, each time you go a year into the future, you go two years into the past. Like, so things that were eight years One ago last year. step forward, two steps back. Opposites attract. I mean, Paula Abdul had it right from the beginning. I always forget about your great musical influences, how they've affected you as a grown man. Last year, things things that were eight years ago last year in 2017, Uh now we've stepped into 2018 or now 10 years ago. Oh, wait. (laughs) Okay, so this, this will have been, this will have been 2008. So that's 10 years ago. I'm doing math here. 
<laughs> Math and time. This yeah. is amazing. Truth be told, it would have been October 2008. It was in Boston. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I had met you. You hadn't? <laughs> is that true? 100% true. So I had met up actually with uh, Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. Uh, one of the malt imposters. Indeed. And, uh, and anyway, Simon was in the room. He was behind his table. And, of course, he had, he's notorious for having these, this green welly, this, you know, rubber boot on the, on the table. And in, there's always something hidden beautifully in the boot. And by something, I mean a good bottle of whiskey, not like, I don't know, insert something non sequitur here. He doesn't do the popcorn trick with a green welly boot. <laughs> Oh, here, try some of this popcorn. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Do you like it salty? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, so so he would tell you, just reach down into the green boot. Uh-huh. Uh, so he would pull out of the green boot. A salty treat? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, he... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> Moving on. How dare you anyway me, <laughs> sir? <laughs> Uh, so I knew about Lefroig, but I wasn't very familiar with Ardmore at the time. And it was my meeting with him where he showed me, I think at the time it was Ardmore Traditional was the whiskey. That was their, their number one whiskey, and there may have been something else there. And what I thought was interesting is here I am, this guy who's new to whiskey, I'm going to get to my other story that you say, that Beaumore story. But I want to throw a little a little bit of the conversation that I had with, with Simon in I'm, here. I'm just listening intently. Yeah, you, I'm not throwing laughing. any judgment at you you're at la- all. You're doing, you're doing secret belly laughs as I'm talking. And, you know, I knew about Lefroig, as most people know of Lefroig, even tangentially they'll, they'll, they'll have known the name. The love it or hate it dram. The love it or hate it dram. And Simon was teaching me about Ardmore. And here I was incredibly green to Ardmore. And and there was a point in, in my conversation with Simon uh, where we discuss what it takes to teach someone about a distillery that they have never heard of before. Checks out. So I thought we should listen to that. Oh, this was transition. That was, yeah, it was this transitioning. Was that was set up. Wow. Yeah. That was like a pro move. <laughs> you didn't realize it the whole time. You're laughing and you're doing things. You didn't realize that I was masterfully setting up the next segment of my conversation with Simon Brooking. Wow. And when you look at your, your portfolio, you've got the big names that are that are Lefroig, that are obviously, you know, the Suntory brands as well, Yamazaki, Hakushu, and of course, Beaumore and Glengarry and Ard- Ardmore are a little, a little less known. What are the challenges that you see to, to get them to remember that name? Does it go beyond what you do? Is it marketing? Is it... Well, it's all... What's that? It's all marketing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but... Um, for me, it's about kind of getting under the skin. And um, you know in your experiences, when you get to the distilleries, how it changes your perspective on, mm. on it all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I like to bring to the table. I like to try and bring as much of that distillery experience. And that's why I burn the peat and the barley and, and yeah. do all those things. Yeah. 
try and it's, it's establishing a connection. It's establishing an emotional connection. You know, so what is the emotional connection for mm. each of these distilleries? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a that's a powerful tool. Mm. Um, that emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 great Isla swim, mm -hmm. <coughs> which happened this summer, when yep. we were all a part of. Yep. And the the opportunity that I had just recently um, at the um, uh, the study fine wine spirits. Oh store, yes, 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 yes. For oh, us to do, yeah. uh, uh, I was anticipating just talking about my distilleries. Yeah. Um, but then we got there, and and Justin asked me to talk about all the distilleries, which yeah. was a little strange at first, because, <laughs> wait a minute, well, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, Dive yeah. in, the water's <laughs> fine, right? Yeah. And it was, by the end of the night, it was so much fun yeah. to talk about Isla, to talk about all of the distilleries on Isla. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I can't remember the last time I did an all without actually being on Isla and going around and sampling yeah, all yeah, the... Yeah. But to, to, to present an Isla, all Isla tasting. Yeah. And it was great. It just perspective and... And a lot of it, it for me, is, 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 again, that emotional connection, but, but having a perspective on it all and, and, and looking at it from an abstract way as well. And, and mm. we're all ama basically making it the same way. Yeah. But it's those, those little tweaks and those right. those stories, right? And the and the people, who really bring it to life, bring it to the life of mm. that name of mm -hmm. of Glen Geary. And, and and to be quite honest, I I haven't. I'm excited to spend more time in Old Meldrum and yeah. and with time with Digger and yeah. I mean uh, the. The connections that I have with with Ardmore, um, going up up Tappanoth, the top of the, the the Iron Fort Hill, and yeah. and hiking up in the the the, the, the hills around there, and sure. that, that's where you really find the the story of the whiskey. Yeah, you, to, to to experience it all yourself and then share it with others. Yeah. Just before you were talking to him about the distillery experience yeah. and how he communicates that to people at a table, at a festival or in a retail store or where have you, you, you were describing our podcast to him a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And you'd, you'd mention we do the interviews, sometimes we gather some data, sometimes we gather some interviews, and you mentioned the worm tubs uh, that we are yes, uh, yes, yes. very interested in. Incredibly. And are looking to ultimately put out a full episode about worm tubs. And he had a chance to, to talk about that a little bit. And I, I loved what he had to say there. I thought it was pretty insightful from a guy who knows the industry very well. Yeah, let's, let's throw that in. It's a short little bit, but I think people will enjoy hearing it. We call it sort of an industry insiders kind of a thing. Take away the curtain, as much transparency as possible. Uh, about the industry, also about our own company, and then we talk to various people sometimes uh, about process. Like, for instance, we're working on a series of interviews with people who 
either work with or manage distilleries that have warm tubs. So we're going to have a warm tub episode, right? Which is, again, growing. Which is growing, right? Yeah. Because there's 16 now. Yeah. With Ardenaho being 17th coming online. And then Rosebank. Well, it's it's that adage of what's old is new again. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I mean, people are looking back at it and looking at the... We'll, we'll see. It, it, we'll see how many more coal fires stills, you know, open flame. Uh, still, uh, you know, it's just the the dangers. Yes, yeah. that's that's the biggest challenge. But it certainly does produce a different, completely distillate. different. Yeah, you know, I can only think of two off the top of my head yeah. that are doing that right now: Glen Farkless and Springbank on their wash still. Yeah, yeah. Are there any others that you Not know? That of? I know of. Lafroig was at one time direct yeah. fire, right? Yeah. When did that change over? That changed over. That was early sixties. Okay. And you've tasted that those earlier Lafroigs compared to new. Yeah. What do you find the differences are? I think there's more of a vegetal. All right. Style to it. That was also, I mean, the changes in the six also went to size of the stills too, because we put in, um, we put in our second, uh, the the fourth spirit still, right? Um, Three wash, four spirit, right? Yeah. yeah. There was supposed to be a fourth wash, but they couldn't afford. Is that the reason for <laughs> it? That's the reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. for it. <laughs> they were supposed to be a pair that was to go in. They could only afford one of the sets, so they went to just the, the spirit still. And to that point, you know, the boys these days, I mean, yeah. it's a real juggling act between when it comes to yeah. balancing the spirit coming off the small versus the large. So, so how does how does that work? If they're you don't have all seven stills working at the same time when when you, you're doing your wash and then your spirit. No. Is it turning some on, turning some? How, could you talk about that a little bit? It, uh, it, it, it's a, a marriage of the, the two, having the two different size spirits uh, yeah. running at the same time, but then um, uh, mi- mixing and marrying the two distillates. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it's something that I've spoken to John about. It'd be interesting to do. Um, do a bottling of just our larger spirit style. Oh, right. But it's a real, it's a real meaty style. Oh, wow. It's not as, not as delicate, which makes sense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kind of speaks to what a lot of people think about Laphroaig, which is typically not so delicate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As I was just saying, before we went into that little portion on worm tubs there, Joshua, Mm Mm-hmm. Simon Brooking has been in the industry for a while. I want to say that politely. He he floored me with his his age. He, he does not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak out of school. I'm not gonna attach a number to this. He doesn't look as old as he is. <laughs> Just like myself, Jason. Where you are quite the opposite. Was that Pappy Nonsense? That was Pappy Nonsense. <laughs> Pappy Nonsense. I'm the opposite. I just picked up on that, you bastard. <laughs> Wait a second. 
Um, yeah, he's he's a Simon mm-hmm. has had a a good history in the industry, and and I like it when he was describing it, where he started, mm. and then what he was looking for when he transitioned, and now really yeah. what he has uh, with his time in the industry, and and I'm really glad you asked him um, to just lay out. What he's done, I I honestly uh, didn't know he'd been with a massive global entity uh, before this right? massive global <laughs> entity. Yeah. But but he joined this massive global entity before it was a yeah, massive it was just global more entity. Simple more. And yeah. so yep. uh, no, it was uh, being oh, global. Yeah. yeah, but wait, what was? Sorry, who who owned Lafroy? Beam Global. Beam Global. Suntory bought Morrison Bowmore. Oh, yeah, yeah that's and right. And then Suntory bought Beam Global. So here's a guy who's currently with Beam Suntory. We knew him when it was just Beam Global, and, and really he fo- he was focused on Lefroig and Ardmore. Exactly, exactly. But and he had a history. Quite a history. And I don't think of that history for him, so uh, let's have him communicate that with the listeners. How long have you been at this now? 20, going into 21 years now. 21 years. When I started, originally it was uh, Dewar's. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right, yeah. um, I was hired to to promote Dewar's in New York. And then Shefflin and Somerset became, worked for Diageo. And so uh, worked with the biggest whiskey company. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, so I learned I learned about the depth mm. and the diversity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the Diageo portfolio. Um, and then I, I wanted a, a challenge. I was looking I was looking to I was looking to put my stamp on on the industry and, and my take on it. Sure. And so that was when I ended up um, moving to Dalmore. And Richard Patterson. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> with the nose himself, <laughs> the, with the nose, and he was a he was a had a profound impact on on what I do. Sure, I mean the man puts it out there, and, and yeah. it's the same time as Jim McEwen as well. Yeah. And you know those yeah. those men uh, stake their lives on on this product mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. brands. Um, and um, and I saw the impact. I was able mm. to see firsthand yeah. the influence and the effect that they had, and and that to me, um, they lived, breathed, slept, drank. <laughs> drank sometimes, some <laughs> sometimes it yeah. sometimes it was apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> so when Richard is swirling around that <laughs> or quote forty-year-old Dalmore drinking out of the bottle, <laughs> but you know it is an in, it's a business, and you have to yeah. come back the next day and be able to yeah. do it again. Jason, before we get on to the next bit, uh, we have not told the listeners what it is that we have in our glass. I know, and I'm glad you asked the question because I'm absolutely blitzing through it. Yeah, well, I'm not because a I'm driving, and b I can't get enough of this nose. It's it's 
Circus Peanuts. That's the monkey nuts note. Oh that's a gosh. classic Laphroaig note for me. And in my early days of being in the United States. Mm-hmm. Of America? You know it? I've, I've heard. I've okay. heard tell. Okay. Yeah. It's going through a rough time right now. Oh, it is. <laughs> Orange, you're right about that. <laughs> I would often talk about monkey nuts mm-hmm. at my tasting <laughs> and getting monkey nuts on the nose or monkey nuts at the front of the palate. <laughs> oh, my gosh. it's It's got such a visual. <laughs> and I never, ever thought I was saying anything problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had not entered my life at that point to giggle your way through that uh, tasting <laughs> note. And the people that I presented to were just kind of like... Thought you were into bestiality. <laughs> yep, I get it. <laughs> you know, so I visit the zoo a lot. So w- what about it? <laughs> and then he throws his feces at me. <laughs> Who's a man or a monkey to judge? So, so monkey nuts, for any listeners who are not familiar, monkey nuts in, in my parlance are unshelled peanuts. So peanuts. <laughs> they're so great. Yeah. For us, Halloween. They're a big Halloween treat. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You you might get a little bit of, of candy, but we were always a monkey nuts and apples kind of Halloween. Wow. I mean that yeah. that goes against those are the those are the throwouts like that. Necco wafers. Yeah, we also uh, wouldn't go trick or treating. Do people sometimes just you open your bag and is trick or treat, and they just they get a ladle and just put some soup into your bag. If you're lucky, if you go to a rich neighborhood, <laughs> that's what you get. Uh, no, we we go guising in Scotland. What's guising? Guys, to be in disguise. Ooh. Guising. You've also, of course, got the connection to Guy Fox, which is just one week later. Oh, yeah, uh, nothing to do with Halloween, but no. just a week later. So you've got Guy on your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guy Fieri. Guy Fox, we got a spit take. We got a spit take. <laughs> oh, he said that right when I had Lafroig in my mouth. Oh, <laughs> guy that was married to Madonna. Was she married to a guy? Oh, guy, guy. Starts with an R. Richardson. Guy. <laughs> too, too many. Roberts. Maybe guy Richard. Remember, he's landing a, landing a. It's not going to be Richie. Guy Richie. Richie. Guy Richie. Richie. Yes. Richie, Richie. Okay, so back to tasting nuts. Monkey yes, nuts. Sir. Monkey nuts. So you're getting... Yes, I'm getting the unshelled peanuts. Like, you know, this is me going to... Always the peanuts with you. <laughs> this is, you know, going to a good family-friendly pub where you've got the peanuts mm. and you crack them open, you eat them, you throw the shells on the ground. It's a doozy, and and we're very fortunate this was one of the Laphroaig single casks. So, yeah, so the reason why we have this, yes. this single cask sample was a gift from Simon. Yeah, that was very kind of him. And uh, so we thought it was apropos to sip on this whiskey. Yep, absolutely perfect. Well, talking about our time with Simon. Now for something completely different. So what about... Our, what are, what else of my conversation with Simon really stood out to you? He raised a point that... Oh, oh go easy. <laughs> Sorry. That 
you and I may have covered in, in podcasts before. It's certainly something that we hear from a lot of people. I'm not even going to name job titles. I'm just going to say mm. we hear from a lot of industry people okay. that some difficulties arise with a particular department. <laughs> Perhaps mm-hmm. even... Uh, Let me say this. Okay. You asked a question. I did. About introducing a distillery to to people who have never heard of it before. Well, yeah. We touched on it a little bit. And I said this to somebody just the other week on my travels. I approach the whiskey business Mm. as a whiskey geek, first and foremost. Yeah. And and a lot of my opinions about the industry mm-hmm. are formed around being a whiskey geek. Okay. And there are times when I see decisions being made that are not best for the whiskey industry. And they upset me as a whiskey geek. For the industry on the whole or for distilleries in particular? No, distillery, no industry on a whole. Industry yeah, on yeah, whole. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And and when we speak to industry friends off record, yes, we tend to come around to a central issue. Mm-hmm. And you asked Simon a question about launching brands, yeah, yeah. and distilleries yeah. in the United States, and how to be successful with that, yeah. And and he had an answer that I, I think cut through all of the bullshit. And and really cut to the chase of how one builds a successful brand overseas. You know, if mm. you're building a Scottish brand, mm-hmm. not in Scotland, you're overseas. So I, I think you really cut to the heart of it. Money, of mm-hmm. course, gets mentioned. Of course. And accounting. <laughs> and marketing. Yeah. Yes. And and you asked a very savvy follow-up. And and I think we should we should let your follow-up question run within the 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 conversation with Simon here. But just to to signpost it, you asked if watching money affects the whiskey running from the stills. Mm. And I thought that was a fantastic whiskey geek question to ask. Can you say that again? You could you could just cut and repaste this mm, sure. uh, okay. into the into the feed. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I thought Simon did a lovely job of answering honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I don't think he, he threw anybody under the bus. I think he answered honestly and fairly. And as a whiskey geek, I can't ask anything more than that from people who carry the industry on their shoulder. So let's go over to you asking Simon how one establishes a new distillery yeah. in a new cool. market. You started alluding to something that I, I've been thinking about lately, where you've got, I think, three different things going on. You have accountants that are looking at profitability. You've got marketers that are looking at marketability. And then you've got producers that are focused on best product. Efficiency. And efficiency and, and, and all these things. And how, how does it all get balanced and how does a brand as big as Beam Suntory, with all the distilleries and all the different products you have, and not just you, just anybody, right? Sure. Balance that. 
Well, and one of the things that for us at Beam Suntory is um, the amalgamation of, of the two companies, and certainly Suntory being uh, an, an inter- international company mm-hmm. and Beam being an American company yeah. with as, as large a company as it is, um, bringing those two cultures together um, and uh, utilizing the best practices of both cultures yeah, and yet also making it profitable. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's such a large, it's, it's such a large company that I, it's a, it's a big challenge. Sure. I, I, one of the things they're bringing in um, into the, the the Americas team now today uh, this year is uh, uh, somebody from international mm. to bring Beam into more of the international side of okay Beam the the American side of it into to, international yeah okay. to make it more international yeah um, uh, so that because in in some ways the, you know the U S stands alone mm-hmm. and that's not always a good thing. Agreed. You yeah, know, it doesn't uh, doesn't have a global perspective. No, and, no, it's uh, only getting worse. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I think it's they're understanding that there there there's been a disconnect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a disconnect. It's just the way the company is growing because we're you know we're three years old right now. Wow. You know? Yeah. So th- there's there's a lot a lot to learn, and the company is um, taking the time to do that. But but in trying to do that, there's a lot of accounting that's going on these days. There's a lot of reporting. Mm. Um, there's a lot of micromanaging, which then affects us. Yeah. Out on the street, selling and promoting and educating. Sure. Um, you know, I had to be on a two-hour call the other day yeah. for a five-minute report. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that, again, work-life balance, but it's work-work balance. Yeah, that's... You it's, know? It's... You know it's bad when you have to have meetings about the meetings yeah. you're having. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Yeah. That's so corporate life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why for me, uh, to get back to the distilleries and to get back yeah. to the, that, it, it brings it all back on down. I'm on my feet again, and I, there's a, there's a there's that connection, yeah. the, the con- connection with the earth again. Yeah. Before we, uh, how should I say this? Poorly. <laughs> uh, there's one more point that I want to bring up into this podcast it was sort of a the final point that Simon and I discussed in our in our conversation that was about NAS right non-age statement whiskeys yeah it was a good point to raise and a good point to cover before we do that we have an age stated whiskey before the before before the before uh, in our glass in this this one so it's also Lafroig it is but this bottling is one that you gave me I did indeed. What is it, Jason? This is the Glasgow's Whiskey Festival 10-year-old Laphroaig single cask mm-hmm. bottled by Creative Whiskey Company. 
Yeah. For the festival. And this was the second festival, the second Glasgow's Whiskey Festival that they did a kind of a standalone bottling for. Right. The other one was a, was it Highland Park? The first one. Yeah. Yeah. Festival one had a Highland Park 14 year old single cast. Yes. Yes. Which yes, was yes. out of this world. Then they followed it with this 10-year-old Laphroaig, which is wonderful. And then they followed it with a Scotch Malt Whiskey Society bottling that was a, a branded bottling oh. um, for the festival as opposed to a standalone mm. Glasgow's Whiskey Festival. And um, and that was that. So I, I, I thought I was getting into the collecting and opening of a series of Glasgow's Whiskey Festival bottlings, and this was the second and last. Wow. Well, I'm happy that you got me a bottle because Cheers. it's a really, really good Laphroaig. Yeah, it's got that nice, fresh, coastal salinity yeah. to it. Yeah, this is it's quite different from the other one. It doesn't have that peanut slash monkey nut thing going on. It's coastal, it's fresh, there's even a fruitiness to it going on, which I, I quite enjoy. Yeah, I think it's a, a pretty young 10 as well. Uh, I, I don't. If I was tasting this blind, I wouldn't go as high as ten years old for it. Mm, mm-hmm. I think it's got some of the echoes to our five and our six that we bottled for Single Cast Nation. Yeah, that beautiful freshness to it. Mm, yummy. Yeah. So, cheers. Thanks again. So, cheers. So, I had asked Simon about non-age statement whiskeys because there's. <sighs> Right? There's just a lot of talk about it these days. There's so much NAS on the market. And especially a lot in travel retail. Right? Travel retail seems to be the springboard for many non-age stated whiskeys. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So so I'm gonna I'm going to just throw my question in here and let him answer it. And then when we come out of that, um, we we won't have any news to report because we're actually recording this a good month before it's released. Uh, but there are some emails that I want to get to before we go to Simon's Misconception. And then we have what I feel is a really heartwarming story after that. Yeah, you texted me shortly after you interviewed Simon and said, wait till you hear the story Simon ended the interview with. Uh, I'm wiping tears right now. Yeah. And you, sir, were not wrong. <laughs> so we will cover that a little later as well. I don't know why I laughed when you said... I mean, it just, you know, that triumphant, I wasn't wrong. That's how we keep the devil from the door, Joshua. Earlier you were talking about one of the things that that you hate, and that is someone sticks out their arm and says, what's your oldest, what's your best? And you know, I think we've we've gotten to a point where year over year, year over year, decade over decade... And maybe it's different in other countries, but at least in the U.S. for sure, the the American drinking population has been trained that old equals better, and it leads to suspicion of NAS equals inferior. And I think there's room, there's a lot of room for re-education, but I wonder if we're past the point of no return. I... With all the market research that's been done with the millennials, and it's and it's it's changing again mm. in terms of um, the vintage variants having a number on it, and 
it's less about that number now and it's more about this experience but it is my um, my campaign these days is I'm all because we have a lot of a lot of our um, portfolio has has got a lot of no age statement whiskey yeah sure and for me the challenge is okay so how do we how do we make that sexy yeah yeah and it's pretty simple because if we look at tradition and history, which is so much about of what I talk about, um, because that's what our brands are about. It's about that provenance. It's about tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the way the whiskeys were bought and sold back yeah. in the 19th century. They weren't there waiting were around. Non-age statements. Age yeah. statement. Yeah came about in the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah. You know, yeah. post World War II. Yeah. And people people think it's been around for ages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when it, it's um uh it it's a it's a relatively new concept. Right. Um and so yeah, that's that's my watchword these days is uh, and as you know, it, it's about the taste experience. It, it's yeah. not about the number. Yeah. Uh, so then it becomes on the other side of it now then it becomes about what's the story of the name of the whiskey mm-hmm. because people can they think they can relate to a number but but now it's about well now for us as ambassadors that 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 name is carries some weight i mean yeah, you know i think exactly. for for us at lafroig a good example is lafroig select versus lafroig lore yeah just the implications of both of those names. Right. <laughs> Lore is, is mysterious. Yes. And, and it, um, it, it, spe- it, has a, it has a weight to it. Select. <laughs> it's, it, it's a little more homogenous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that I, I would love to have more input on when it comes to the marketing side of it. And... Yeah, as as much as John Campbell at Lafroig would like to have a little bit more well, yeah. input, yeah. and there sometimes there are uh, bottlings that are done by committee yeah. that yeah. that should never make it to the shelves, but they do, mm-hmm. <coughs> and they don't necessarily have a long shelf life. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. that, and that's that's a bit of the disconnect when when you have potentially marketing people that aren't whiskey folk and whiskey folk that have to sell what the marketing people have come up with. Yeah. And it doesn't always work out. Yeah. That being said, Laura's such a damn good whiskey. <laughs> well, and that was, and yeah. this was one of John's. Yeah. And, and I think what you're seeing now with, with John Campbell is he's really coming into his own yeah. as a, as a whiskey maker, as mm. a, um, he's, He's spent his time and he's tasted a lot of whiskey, which I think is one of the big things. Right. Yeah. Understanding what you have is, I mean, we know with the men and women that we've worked with through the years and yeah. um, just by on a day-to-day basis, tasting and, and knowing what the mm-hmm. whiskey is, mm-hmm. you get this 
much deeper connection to to the the whiskey, and you understand it on a on a very different level than mo- the the rest of the public. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Simon Brooking. Oh, you know what? Damn it! I never told my Bowmore story. Now seems as good a time as any, Joshua. Oh my gosh! So we're not talking Bowmore the whiskey. We're talking Bowmore the town. Yes, sir. Lockside Inn specifically. Lockside Inn. Yep. This was 2011, <laughs> August. <laughs> I was going to say. So listeners can apply Joshua's one step forward, two steps back philosophy to time. But but you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. And we went into the Lockside Inn, if I recall, for some food. We just call it the Lockside. It was just the Lockside. But it's the Lockside Inn. I think it's the Lockside Hotel. So we went into the Lockside at Pomore. (laughs) And we went in for some food and for some pints. And wouldn't you know it, sitting by himself at the Lockside was Simon Brooking. Just like in San Francisco, minding his own business, trying to grab a bite of food. Yeah. And I saw him and I said, oh my gosh, it's Simon. We have to go say hi to him. (laughs) (laughs) And Jason... That is a solid retelling. (laughs) (laughs) And Jason brought out his best uh, Wonder Woman lasso (laughs) and basically held me from talking to Simon, at least at first. At first. At first. I can never be fully successful in this, but at first I got you to to cool your heels. Mm-hmm. We let him eat, gave him some time. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. I'm not proud, I'm just telling the story. I behaved like a decent human being. You would not believe it. You would not believe how decent of a human being I was. I am the most decent human oh. being You'd ever know. A lot of people are saying that. A lot of people say that. (laughs) But we got to sit and talking to Simon Brooking, and and again, it was was just that nice, genuine conversation that you'd have with just anybody because he's a genuinely good guy. What else is there to say? Is there more to it that I forget? I don't think I even left our table. I think I stayed at our table because we were... no, I brought you in. No, I'm not sure you no, did. No, I finally broke the leash, and I went over, and I spoke with Simon, and then you came over. Yes, you did. Please I'm, trust me on I'm this. I'm not sure that's the truth. It's the truth. Dear listeners, it's the truth. I feel like you came back to the table and said, Simon is so cool, so cool, and I just waved to him from afar. No. Nope. It's not what happened. Then I must have got up to leave to take you away. <laughs> that is not what happened. <laughs> well, I gave you pause for thought. I like that. Uh, I wasn't thinking. Okay, so so yes, yeah, so cheers, cheers to to Simon. Everybody you meet's got a great word to say about him. Oh yeah. Anybody who's been at one of his tastings, mm-hmm. he is knowledgeable and entertaining and educational. He's he's wonderful and wonderful for the industry. That's really what makes me so very happy. Really good point there. Wonderful for the industry. You know, before we go into his misconception, I was, again, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, I was at Justin Fernal's house looking at the Great Isla Swim documentary video, and he had mentioned a tasting that he did with Simon in Connecticut where they were they were just talking about the Isla Swim and pouring whiskey from all the Isla distilleries. 
and he asked Simon to to basically to help to be the the knowledgeable guy talking about Isla whiskey. And Simon was taken a bit out of his comfort zone, but got incredibly excited to just say, "Here I am. I'm representing Isla." Yep. And he got to talk about all of the distilleries, and and this is why. I, I say he's good for the industry because, of course, he's a company man. Of course, he has to, he's got to promote and sell the whiskeys that he represents, whether they're from Isla Distilleries or from the mainland. But he's happy to just be a good whiskey mentor, a teacher, an educator. Agreed. And as much as you said you wanted to get that point in before we go to Simon's misconception, oh. we're going to squeeze in a couple of emails. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That yes. you thank want you. to get to thank you, first. Thank you, thank you. Good. Yeah, you're good. You're good, good, good. Thank you, thank you. So I want to go to. Inst- think, yeah, you said we had one from Instagram. Instagram. An Instagram question? Yeah, an well, Instagram.com question. Lovely. So this is from Backyard underscore whiskey and he spells it with the e so backyard whiskey says i'm not sure if there's a simple way to explain this but could you maybe help me understand quote cut in the whiskey distillation process i'm thinking it has a bit to do with spirits coming off the still at specific abvs is that in the ballpark yeah what do you think jason how do we answer this one i think he's correct he's he's right there you where do we start talking about alcohol in the process at fermentation? After you've spent many hours with yeast, your sugar water uh, turns into ballpark 10% alcohol, somewhere between 8 and 10, depending eight on 10. the distillery. Yep. You then put it into your wash still. Mm-hmm. You boil that for the very first time. And it's called a wash still because at that point, that 8 to 10% alcohol which is really a beer, it's called wash. So they put it into the wash still to turn it into a spirit. Exactly. Depending yeah. who you speak to there, that first boil will get it up to maybe 23% alcohol. So from your wash still, you'll then go over to your spirit still, mm-hmm. where now your spirit is being distilled. And it's coming off the this wash still average, 23 24%, 25% alcohol. Exactly. Depending who you speak to and their process yeah. and how they yep, make yep, it all yep, work. Yep. And your your spirit still might get your alcohol up to the high 70s. Yeah. Then you'll run your four shots. So it might be the first five minutes of your run, 10 minutes of your run, 15 minutes of your run, depending on your distiller. Size of the still, how high they fill the still. Numerous factors yeah, sure. in play there. And that's where you take your first cut Mm -hmm. from the spirit still. And imagine, if you will, when that starts running spirit in the high 70s, you're collecting it in one area, one zone, Mm. right, of your distillery. Yeah. You then swing your collection valve over to the other side. I'm talking about in the spirit safe yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to get that specific, but here we are in the interests of clarity. So you'll then swing your collection valve in your spirit safe. You'll then continue to run your distillate. Mm-hmm. And you might take it to... Well, yeah, again, it's down right. to the distillery. I mean, it, right. let's, let's use Kilhoman as the example. Right where they start 
so you have your four shots, your hearts, and your feints, or in the U.S., we call it the heads, hearts, and the tails. And Kilhoman will start their heart cut at five minutes. Mm -hmm. So the first five minutes, that's the four shots or the heads. Once five minutes starts and they switch that collection valve over to hearts, now we're at hearts, and you're looking at around 72% alcohol at the start, taking it down to around 69% alcohol. They they take a very small cut. It's about 3%. Really? Yeah, it's very small. Um... Because I've heard of some distillers taking a, a cut that might be as much as ten percent, right? So this from a mid seventies to a mid sixties, correct? So the the Kilhoman may be a little bigger, but I know that generally speaking, it's much smaller than the rest. But this is why Kilhoman, even though their barley is more heavily peated than Lafroig's is. Kilhoman tends to be tends to come off like a, a lightly pe- not a lightly peated whiskey, yeah, not lightly, but but lighter in comparison to Lafroig. Lafroig's hearts start later in the cut, rather than starting at five minutes. They may wait ten or maybe a little more. I don't know the exact number. I should have asked Simon, but they'll let it run a little longer, so their heart cut is wider mm-hmm. than Kilhoman's. And where Kilhoman may stop their heart cut after three, four percent collection, so seventy-two to sixty-nine, sixty-eight, somewhere around there, Lafroig may go a little deeper. So what Kilhoman may consider faints or tails, Lafroig will say, "No, I want a little bit of that because I want our whiskey to be heavier. I want it to have this." earthy quality to it. I want, maybe I want those monkey nuts in there and that's how they get it. You know, so where a distillery takes their cuts on their spirit still helps to determine the overall flavor profile of their whiskey. Yeah, and I think the answer to our friend Backyard here is that defining cut Mm. is easy. They were correct. They Mm -hmm. were spot on. It's where a particular distiller takes that cut. Yes, 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 yes. Varies and will change the character mm-hmm. of the whiskey being distilled. So it's it's a terrific question to ask and certainly one to pay close attention to. And certainly one thing we do on our Whiskey Geek Tours as we go around is we're always asking. that The downside is when you cover yeah. a, a dozen distilleries... <sighs> In five or six or seven days, the numbers start to run together a little bit. They do. We should take notes. We should take notes. Well, you record everything, and then we never use any of the raw footage. Because then I have to listen back to it. <laughs> you, you can actually probably write up this a series of cuts um, for a number of distilleries, and we could uh, share it in Whiskey Geek Circles <laughs> with appropriate permission. So, do we have another... I think we do. I think we do. We got a Twitter question. It's not so much a question. I mean, it was a question, but it got me to thinking that we haven't really touched on this subject much. And so this question came from at Wine Sagasu. Okay. All right. And hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, Sagasu. Sagasu? Sagasu. Anyway, 
And the question was, hey there, have you done any podcasts on blending by chance? Ah. Or done any interviews with blenders? Ah. Right? And so... You know, I mentioned to Wine Gasu, Wines Gasu, Wines, <laughs> that we talked to Graham Cool about it a little bit yep. in our Glenn Murray episode because, you know, he's the blender for Label 5. Yep. But I think there's a bit of a hole there in that we haven't geeked out with a blender. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it becomes kind of some dream interviews, doesn't it? I'd love to sit down with David Perkins. Yeah. I'd love to sit down with John Glazer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course. I'd love to sit down with Richard Patterson. Yeah. Yeah. Those are people who have put very well-known, very well-regarded yeah. blends onto the market uh, for, for Richard Patterson. And the most recent one for me would be the discussion of the Shackleton and how he recreated a 100-year-old whiskey. <laughs> Uh, using yeah. modern product. Yeah. Uh, with John Glazer, it would be putting blending on the map at a time right. when people had completely written it off. Single malts were the only whiskeys to be drinking. And if you drank blends, you were a pleb. And he gave them blends mm -hmm. back their reputation. Yeah. And we always speak highly um, of, of John Glazer and what Compass Box has, has achieved. And then... We just had it mentioned in the last episode with Adol Rafai when he was talking about Campfire from David Perkins. Yeah. And David Perkins managed to take American whiskey and Scottish peated whiskey and create something unbelievable from it. Yeah, but I think it shouldn't be overlooked that a lot of blending is done in single malt. I mean, single malt... That's a great point. It's Look at any 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 21-year-old any NAS, you name it, they're all blends, but they're blends of malt whiskey from a single distillery. So they have to create, uh, let's take Glenmorangie, for instance, right? They need their original 10-year-old to taste the same all the time. And it takes a master blender to ensure that it's going to taste the same all the time. I love that you chose Glenmorangie 10 as as your go-to in, in your talks, yeah. given the subject of today's podcast. I always use Laphroaig 10 as my go-to. Is that right? It is. And I always <laughs> say, you know, it needs to taste the same in Glasgow as it does in yeah. Baltimore, Maryland, as it does in Tokyo, Japan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is. It's always Laphroaig 10 yeah. that I talk about. Yeah. Well, uh, Glen Morangie for me has always been a, a benchmark whiskey. Yeah. And, and, and I think for that reason, talking to um, David Stewart at Balvenie about right? the consistency of Doublewood. <sighs> talk about uh, someone who can create consistency. It's him right there. Right. That's now celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. The double one. Yeah. That's insane. I know. I know. I would I would love to talk to David Stewart about coming up with that and taking it from one type of cask into another type. But a lot of their talk is around they, they would mature it in whiskey oak and then they would move it yeah. into sherry oak. Yeah. I would love to talk... Um, to an, an honest man, David Stewart is yeah, from Ayr, is. Yeah. and uh, the Ayrshire, uh, basically Ayrshire people in the Ayrshire soccer team are known as the Honest Men. So Ooh. Ayr is home to Honest Men Ooh. and Bonnie Lassies. Oh, I didn't know that. It comes from Burns. And so that's why I use talking to David Stewart, an honest man. 
Good, good, good. Um, about yeah. about Bovini and the double wood, yeah, which yeah. which is beloved by many, many people. So, yeah. um, yeah, for wine, Tony Saragusa there. Um, <laughs> what did you say? That's, that's a football reference. You're not going to get it. I'll never get that. I'll never get that. <laughs> I'm hoping some of our listeners watch the uh, the oval ball sport. So that's football, Josh. Oh, that's the football <laughs> with the feet. Man, I lost you within three seconds. Okay. So, um, so no, it's it's a solid question to be asking. You and I certainly yeah. respect blending, and and have various reasons to talk to uh, different types of blenders. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we'd we'd love to make that happen at yeah. some point. So so we will work on that. Mark our words. So I think now might be a really good time to transition over to our misconceptions part of the podcast. Yeah, I I agree with you. I do appreciate us. Including a couple of emails this episode. We needed to get back into the swing of things because, well, we had the live episode and then I don't know what else happened, but we stopped including <laughs> them. So, uh, yeah, I think we've only covered them once in the actually since, since the, the mailbag, mailbag episode, <laughs> which that was that our that was was that our first? That's how we no, closed that was our, out season one. That's how we closed out season one. And that's also how we'll close out season two, Joshua. Oh, look at that. Well done. Thank you. Uh, so, Mr. Simon Brooking had a very good and very interesting misconception. He did. It's the type that we hear in certain circles. Mm-hmm. People who stand behind tables and pour whiskey for strangers. Mm-hmm. I think we've all got stories like this. We do. Uh, this one, when I was listening to the raw footage, <laughs> I was sitting in my office getting some work done, yeah. and I literally LOL'd. So, L- so an actual LOL, an actual laughing out loud, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not a, not something where they say thanks for screwing me over. LOL. Yeah, not no. not when somebody says that's hilarious. And no laughter comes out of them. Just the words, that's hilarious. <laughs> nope, I guffawed at oh, the conclusion that. of this story yeah. that was very well told. Cool. Let's hand it over. Just recently, the, the, um, we were in, uh, in the Pens- Pennsylvania market mm. at, a, at an account that will remain nameless. It's a really, really good whiskey account in yeah. Philly. And we, li- we like to go there because... People enjoy our products and they're mm-hmm. engaged and they're engaging. And yeah, yeah. We're sitting at the bar. It was actually after an event, so we were there just casually. And um, there was a young lady next to us who was um, interested in what we were mm. tasting with the Lafroig. And um, her boyfriend was a, a little annoyed that he wasn't getting the attention he was getting, you know, because (laughs) we were talking to her, having a genuine conversation um, about, about Lafroig and, and he finally, he, he butts in and says, that Lafroig, that's, that's nothing. You got to drink that pappy, that shit will fuck you up. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> and that was so wrong in yeah. so many yeah, ways. Yeah. <laughs> it just it kind of encapsulated all of all yeah. of the really bad yeah. things yes. ab- about 
just um, uh, the industry and and how it's perceived and mm-hmm. and and the really special whiskeys or what are thought to be special and then what it actually does to you. I mean, it was just. <laughs> um, so I mean that. To to me, and it happens a lot. Yeah. I mean those yeah. misconceptions. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff, man. That was a great, great story. Great misconception from Simon Brook. Yes, thanks again, Simon. Really uh, appreciate your friendship. Appreciate you uh, supporting Jason and I and everything that we do. Which, Very much. Which, which you do. Just to say a little bit about that support when you and I released our art more. That had oh, matured right. in the Lefroy cask. Mm-hmm. Simon was wonderful about taking that to his own tastings, his own trainings. Yeah. And showing what Ardmore can do in in Lefroy. Lefroy Wood. Yeah. It, it was that was really tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So I do want to tell one yes. just very quick little story. Make it here. quick, because we're we're running late here. It's a lot of time here. But <laughs> It was the Seattle Jubilee. It was a night. Of 2018. Just like this. I don't think I told this story okay. on the the Jubilee recap. Maybe I did. Don't know. I'd been pouring my table, and as I'm prone to do, mm-hmm. I ask people how the night's going and what have they found at other tables. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people took great pains in telling me that they had been to the Lefroy table. Yeah. And they had had some 27-year-old Lefroig. Yes. And some 25-year-old Lefroig. 25-year-old Bowmore, 27-year-old ah, Lefroig. Okay. That's good to get clear. Cool, mm-hmm. cool. And when Mr. Simon Brooking showed up at my table for a little taste, mm-hmm. a little sample, yeah, I mentioned to him that I'd been hearing a lot about the 27-year-old and 25-year-olds. And he said, oh, those are sold out. They're, those are, those those are, are gone. gone. Pour them up. Those are all finished. Ah. <sighs> I said, you're standing at my table, poor, tasting my stuff. I didn't get any 25 or 27-year-old from you. But, dear listener, one should remember, it's not about age. No. I just happened to hear that they were really good. And you know what? That should probably satiate you. You should feel sated. <laughs> Without ever I, tasting them. I heard they were good. That makes me feel good. Did you taste them, Joshua? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I take that back. I think I had the 25. You know what? I, I, I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't. Let's keep it as I didn't. <laughs> so we were going to transition here. Yeah. From Simon talking about people beginning their journey. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do that. It, the, I really, I want to close out the episode with this story that we, we teased people with earlier about that that sort of feeling warm, <laughs> bringing tears to your eyes story. I want to close with that. Before we close with that, I want to let people know how to get in touch with us. Makes sense. Cool. Uh, firstly, I want to remind people slash ask people, uh, please go to iTunes, uh, give our uh, podcast a rating. Yes, please, sir. We <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some more? Uh, nice five-star ratings make us feel good, and they also help other people to find us. So that would be great. Take it boot. If you want to email us, reach out to us, communicate with us in any way, here are the ways in which you can do that. Uh, via email, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. Via 
Twitter or the Twatterton machine. It is at One Nation Whiskey. If you want to Instagram message us like uh, Backyard Whiskey did, you could reach us. We are at One Nation Under Whiskey. And then finally, if you go to Facebook and you go to the Facebook search bar, you will, by searching up One Nation Under Whiskey, you will find uh, both our podcast sort of general page, uh, but also we've got a Facebook group, the One Nation Under Whiskey group, so you could do that there. So I'm sorry to derail what you were saying there before, but I wanted to get that in before we No, that's smart. Uh, very smart. Oh, look at that. I <laughs> don't say that every day. <laughs> but uh, now to to close out mm. the episode with a very sweet tale yeah. from Simon. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate him sharing it with us. What I liked about it, you know, we had this, this question earlier, which was, you know, Simon was there for me and for many other people sort of getting folks on their whiskey journey, getting them started off, right? And we talked about it a little bit before in the interview. And this is a story that helps to close that loop, if you will. Without further ado, over to Simon. These days, what keeps me going are the the really good stories, Mm. the really, um, the ones that touch, touch my heart. Yeah. Um, I was doing um, uh, a tasting in Connecticut. It was a whiskey dinner, and um, we—it uh, was a family who'd come to this whiskey dinner, um, and they—it was a father and mother, mm-hmm. and they were coming with their daughter, who was a, of legal drinking age, and they were coming in honor of the grandfather. Oh wow! And yeah. he was—he was a huge Lafroig fan. Um, he was such a fan that. In his final days, they had um, tracked down a bottle of 40-year Laphroaig. Wow. And his, his last days, he was too weak to drink and eat. But what they did was they took some Laphroaig 40 and put it on a cloth. Yeah. And they would touch it to his lips. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, one of the last things this man tasted, experienced before he passed, Lafroy, 40 year old. And that. I'm getting chills (laughs) just you telling me the story. And they tell me that, and I just, my. What do you say to that? You you don't. Yeah, you don't. You receive. Yeah. And you say thank you. You know, and that to me uh, speaks to the power of our whiskey. 